0: You're listening to Skip Intro with me, Krista Smith. When writer and director Tobias Lindholm was 19 years old, he became paralyzed by anxiety. He would lie awake endlessly obsessing over his own mortality. Miserable and exhausted, Tobias decided to leave Denmark and purchase an interrail ticket, which would allow him to easily travel around Europe for an extended period of time.
1: So I thought, I'm going to go on an interrail trip and I won't come back until this is gone. I want to find a way out of this crazy situation. But then, in Paris, on a very rainy day, I decided to write a letter to myself. And sitting there and writing, hey, Tobias, you're in Paris, blah, 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 stupid thoughts, banal shit. But nevertheless, I posted it and I sent it home. And I realized that the two hours where I've been writing that letter, time disappeared. And I felt good. I felt safe there for some reason.
0: Every day, Tobias would write a letter to himself and put it in the mail. By the time he arrived home, he had 57 letters waiting for him. The content of these letters wasn't particularly enlightening, but the process alleviated the anxiety that had gripped him for so long.
1: I came home and I had realized that writing was a space that I could enter, a mental space where where I could just be and where time would disappear, and that felt very liberating. Um, I didn't know what to do with it until years later when I decided to write a novel, and at that point I thought, well, I just, I just need to write 10 pages a day for 40 days. That's 400 pages. That's kind of a novel. Uh, so uh, I did. It never came out, but a screenwriter read it, and she said, why don't you apply film school? I did, and here we are.
0: It's been a good two and a half decades since Tobias first discovered the power of writing. He is a renowned screenwriter, well known for his collaborations with the Danish Dogma 95 director Thomas Vinterberg, for whom he's written a number of films, including the award-winning Another Round. Tobias is also a decorated director, earning an Oscar nomination for his film A War back in 2015. It's actually quite ironic that my conversation with Tobias happens to kick off on the topic of anxiety, since Tobias' latest film, The Good Nurse, vibrates with the sensation. Based on the book by Charles Graber, The Good Nurse tells the story of Amy Loughran, played by Jessica Chastain, a compassionate nurse who begins to grow suspicious that her colleague, Charlie Cullen, played by Eddie Redmayne, is responsible for a series of mysterious patient deaths. Over the past two months, I've sat down separately with Tobias, Jessica, and Eddie to discuss their perspectives and experiences on The Good Nurse. Today, we're weaving together these conversations to get a glimpse inside the incredible story and tireless work that fueled its creation. When screenwriter Christy Wilson Kiern sent Tobias Lindholm the first draft of The Good Nurse back in 2016, he was a bit stunned. Why had I
1: never heard about this Charlie Cullen who had killed so many people in the American healthcare system? Immediately after reading the, um, the screenplay, I bought the book and read that. And I realized that um, that even more than what Christie had already done, we had an opportunity here to, you know, to, to kind of put a mirror in front of the serial killer genre. And do another version. Do a version where we were not fascinated by the killer. Do a version where we were not fascinated by the killings. Um, Where we wouldn't even answer the question why he was doing it. But where we would ask the question, why didn't we stop him? And where we would be fascinated with the humanity of Amy Loughran.
0: For those of you unfamiliar with Cullen's story... A quick Google search will pull up an endless stream of articles, podcasts, and murderpedia pages on the subject. But here are the essential details. In 2003, Nurse Cullen was arrested for killing patients with drug cocktails that he had secretly administered. Although Cullen eventually admitted to 40 murders, It is believed that he may have been responsible for up to 400 deaths over the course of his 16-year career as a nurse. For a decade, the details surrounding how authorities were able to catch Cullen remained unclear. That is, until 2013, when Charles Graeber's book, The Good Nurse, revealed just how Cullen's friend and co-worker Amy Loughran was able to bring him to justice. It's an incredible story, so incredible, in fact, that Tobias had to confirm its validity for himself.
1: I read the screenplay back in the beginning, then I read the book, I talked to Christy, and then I flew to New York to meet Amy, because I was actually doubting that this story was true. Um, There was just something story-wise in it that was too good to be true. She is the person who goes up against a whole healthcare system, and stops a serial killer with her humanity. And at the same time, she's struggling with her own heart disease that she can't afford to get paid for. She has to give other people comfort and help, but she can't get it herself. It just seemed like almost too perfect, right, to be built on a true story. So I had to meet her and kind of confront my doubt uh, about that. But she confirmed, and not only did she confirm it, she, she strengthened the, the, um, uh, the story quite a bit because she insisted that the friendship with Charlie was and is real. And she still refers to Charlie as her very close friend. She also is very happy that he's not hurting anybody. She realized and she knows that everything he did was evil and terrible, but she insists that humanity is there.
0: After speaking with Amy and fully realizing what his vision was for the film, Tobias then focused his efforts on casting. He knew the subtle nuances he hoped to capture would require a pair of actors who not only could operate at a very high skill level, but would be able to fully immerse themselves in the process as well.
1: Ever since I saw Zero Dark Thirty, I've been one of the biggest Jessica Chastain fans. I think the performance in that movie showed that a new generation had their version of Mel Streep, somebody who could do anything with so little. Anyway... I'm a huge Jessica fan, so when we started to develop this, I was pretty sure that we had to ask her.
2: I was surprised by the story. I live in New York, and I didn't know Charlie Cullen and what had happened in the medical system, so that was number one. That was interesting to me to explore that. I'm also someone who really likes to amplify heroic women you know i play a lot of complicated female characters which i think is really interesting but i also really like to show how incredible women are and amy absolutely is one of that Mm -hmm. she's she's a real life superhero there are so many stories out there that aren't being told. There's so many paramedics. My dad's a paramedic fireman. My brother serves in the Army. And there's so many people who work every single day to keep us safe and healthy. And they work kind of in the shadows. And they're not really mm-hmm. acknowledged for what they do. And Amy's story was so moving to me that I really wanted to celebrate her And that was my main draw to it. And also working with Tobias. Mm -hmm. I knew uh, he wouldn't tell the story in a salacious way. Mm -hmm. His sense of humanity is so great that I knew that it was in good hands.
1: I also remember being in a meeting with uh, with Scott Franklin, the producer, where we talked about, uh, you know, who Charlie could be. And we would, instead of talking about who was bigger stars uh, that year or who could finance a film we would talk about performances that had moved us. And I remember Scott saying that he had just seen Theory of Everything again, and how great he thought Eddie was. And I remember thinking right away, that's it. That's it, let's just call Eddie. And I think three, four days later, I met Eddie in London. Mm. Um, So it went really fast from that idea, and it was locked in right away. And luckily he said, he said yes.
3: It was, It's actually a story I knew nothing about. So I came to Charlie through the script, through Christy Wilson-Kenton's script. And as he's revealed in the film, to, to Amy, I suppose, he was revealed to me.
0: After Jessica and Eddie signed on to the film, a period of waiting ensued, while Tobias, Eddie and Jessica juggled their own separate projects and schedules. After four years, they finally reunited in Connecticut to begin filming. After so much time in limbo, it was extremely rewarding for Tobias to finally get to see Jessica and Eddie's on-set chemistry.
1: I often thought on the way home, this is what, you know, the director of Kramer versus Kramer must have felt like every day, watching Dustin Hoffman and Mel Streep do their thing. Both Eddie and Jessica are of their generation. They're so talented, they're so hardworking, they're so precise, they're so generous, and on top of that, they're extremely nice people.
2: Eddie and I have been wanting to work together for a long time, and Mm. that was a, a big joy.
3: I knew Jess, Socially, in the weird way in which this world you sort of do, in that we had done the James Corden show together. She's also someone whose work I have like, consistently admired, and I really wanted to work with her. And when I heard that Tobias had asked her to do this film for me, everything slotted into place in 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 a wonderful way. What I loved about Jess is, for the for the darkness of this movie, we had an extraordinary time making it.
2: He might be the kindest person i've ever met the Mm -hmm. nicest most polite he really cares about people it's not a show and there's something about about being around him where you just for me it just makes me happier
3: her capability technically Mm -hmm. but then also volcanically Mm -hmm. is is so brilliant and she's so assured and she is such an optimist and i am Many the many of the opposite of those things.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, I know he says he's a pessimist, but he's so just he's just so lovely. And I know he's always afraid things can go wrong, and he does get quite nervous. And I I learned this first off in nursing school because it would take him a long time because he would be overthinking everything and really nervous. And I just can't go in and jab a needle <laughs> in, and you know, just
3: and she wouldn't let me. Self doubt which is something that quite often creeps in when I'm working mm-hmm. and she's like don't be ridiculous don't realize she was and and she really galvanized me and gave me the confidence to to really play and I'm so grateful for that because that was partly to be a setting the environment for it but also Jess's effortlessness and optimism and confidence really kind of changed the way that I approached it. Mm.
2: He's so wonderful to everyone and he's hardest I think most on himself. And I think that's maybe why his work is so good. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant in this mm-hmm. movie. Everything changes mm-hmm. about Eddie in this yeah, film. He
3: does. But also, there's kind of a thing, and Jess and I were talking about it this morning of of working with your friends or working mm-hmm. with people that you know. That people work actors, on-set actors versus actors in this world can be very different things. And mm-hmm. we all have our processes. And that's and each time you make a film, it feels like starting again because whatever your process is, it's got a Gel or bind with someone else's, or or it doesn't, you know. And when it doesn't, that can look great on screen, but it can be an antagonistic and tricky experience.
2: You know, Eddie's playing a character that kills people, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and if he was method, I mean, it could be quite a complicated work relationship, but. He was just as lovely as he is mm-hmm. every day. It wasn't like, oh, I have to be in this character the whole time, so I'm gonna play a serial killer during lunch, or whatever, you know. He didn't slip into into Charlie until action, and we were actually doing the scene. And I found it to be such a generous way of working, because he could still show up and do it, and then not have to like hurt us with his kind of, the negativity of the character. Mm-hmm.
0: Although Eddie, while on set, was able to seamlessly slip in and out of character, once the camera started rolling, he fully inhabited Charlie's mental and physical state. To nail Charlie's mannerisms, Eddie studied the details provided in Graeber's book. And he also worked with movement coach Alexandra Reynolds, whom he'd previously collaborated with on the theory of everything.
3: Over the years, I've done quite a few, played quite a few real people, and. Each film demands something different, but the one thing that remains constant is you're never. It's never a documentary. It's never facsimile. You're not going to succeed in that. And so, over the years, each sort of
1: script has presents a different way of uh, approaching it. Eddie's process, I think, as an actor is he finds a physical way into these characters, and it seems like a way for him to, with that outer world being set he has a way to find the truth emotionally it seems like it doesn't work the other way around it's connected to the physicality of the part
3: this person was this weird hybrid of being translucent and skinless and vulnerable whilst also being total a total closed book anonymity was his tool you know mm-hmm. this was and he got great power and 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 a kickoff being sort of anonymous so it was how you make a character ...present whilst also being anonymous. That, that that was the conflict for me. But one of the things I found most useful... ...in relation to the physicality element... ...was that Charles Graeber describes... ...having spent a lot of time with the real Charles Cullen, ...how he had the shape of a question mark.
1: On the first day of shooting, we would shoot this, the opening scene. And I remember sitting, you know, by the monitor... ...and seeing how us zooming slowly in on Eddie... ...and him finding the posture of of his version of Charlie Cullen, just standing there, and it just felt so true. The way he walks down hallways, I mean, how do you walk as a guilty man? And, you know, I don't know, but, but Eddie did in every take. And I was, like, blown away how he could do it, but I also realized how little we needed to do to tell this story because these small things that Eddie was already totally mastering um, was given. So now we just had to add, you know, the knowledge of what kind of friendship Amy needed and present him in
0: it, and then it was given. In addition to Graeber's book, another key element for both Jessica and Eddie was the insight that the real-life Amy Lochran provided them.
1: When Christy and I was developing the screenplay, she was writing. I would talk to, talk to Amy all the time. Then she became a great source for both Jessica and Eddie. And then as we were shooting, unfortunately, it was during the pandemic. So we couldn't have her that much on set, which I think was both good and bad. I think it would have been a pretty exhausting experience for her looking, watching her own life, you know, take after take. Um... Uh, so maybe it was actually better for her to just visit a couple of times and then see the film when it was done. But um, but she's been part of it from the beginning and, and, and she's with us now. As And, and, and you know, I think that um, clearly without her, this story wouldn't be there. But I also think it would be, you know, a little boring to do this without her. She really deserves to be here and she is a great asset. And she still explains details to me about this story that I didn't know. Talking to Amy... The real Amy, this
3: was two different human beings. Right. Like she says that the only time, and it's written at depth in the book, and it was one of the more scary scenes to film, that the only time she saw the serial killer was in the diner. You know, I don't want to talk about Parkfield. It's. Why
2: not? Is it because what they're saying is true? Yeah, he's terrifying in those scenes. Towards the end of the movie, you're like, who is this? And even he has seen these scenes that Amy's not in. And I, Sophia said, you have to see this. And I I watched some of the dailies of, you know, Eddie working with, um, you know, the detectives, Charlie being interviewed by the detectives. Mm -hmm. And he just freaks out and... It was something that I didn't even understand, but all of a sudden I, I saw what had been lurking in the shadows mm-hmm. um, and was finally emerging towards the end
1: of the film. I think that the key for him and for Jessica and for me was to just be truthful in every moment of the scene. So I don't think that Charlie Cullen, I don't think that Eddie looked at himself as a guilty man at any point. He was present where he was. Um, until Amy confronts him in that diner. Then the killer shows, because there's no way out. He's always been having, you know, a a door behind him. And now, in that booth, in that diner, he was caught. And that showed in his eyes. And um, then he gets up and leaves. And I think that's the key, is basically him not being aware that he is a killer.
3: When you read his history and his background, this guy, you know, aged seven, he tried to kill one of his um, sister's partners. He then tried to kill himself. Mm-hmm. His mother died when he was fifteen. He was the youngest child, yeah. and when he went to the hospital, they had they couldn't find her body, yeah. and her and the disrespect to that, the fury with the system early on, mixed with being bullied horrendously in the navy, in and out of institutions. But also the way he, Charlie Cullen was able to slip through the net was, it's a. Nurses are extraordinary and they work phenomenally hard and they get paid far too little and there was a shortage at the time. And and Charlie was a very good mm-hmm. nurse. He was the guy that everyone wanted to take over the shift mm-hmm. because the changeover period normally it could take between fifty minutes and an hour. He was done in like ten minutes mm-hmm. because he was on it and he would do all the nighttime shifts, he would he would fit in so he was so there was a brilliance to his capability, and and also an empathy to the. But 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 then that was weaponized, you know. Mm-hmm. That and that is what's so frightening.
0: To prepare for her role, Jessica spoke at length with Amy Lockrin about the complicated emotions she felt when the truth about her friend was revealed. Jessica also worked alongside Eddie to learn the movements of a nurse, learning to thread IVs and draw blood, and familiarizing herself with the intricacies of working in an ICU. We shot
2: during COVID, so um, it was quite strict, our shooting experience. And Tobias wanted Eddie and I to go to nurse school, but and we had contacted some schools, but they weren't, there was nothing that they could do. So what they created a nurse school for us and, and we had an amazing nurse Joe who trains people and we came in and like day one it was like the history of nursing we learned about Florence Nightingale I mean, we really kind of like learned from the bones up mm-hmm. and Eddie and I were learning about IVs and you know everything that you would do we were shooting into uh, mannequins and arms For me it was very very important because so much of Amy it she loves her job and she doesn't even think about it and that was a mm-hmm. thing. You don't want to think about it when you're doing something you've done hundreds of times um, a week. So I needed to get to the point that I was just so comfortable doing it that in the scenes it just felt like she was breathing.
0: Another important aspect of her character was Amy's heart condition, cardiomyopathy. In order to more accurately portray its physical effects, Jessica would often run laps around the set before a scene to work up her heart rate and perspiration levels. Tobias also equipped Jessica with an earpiece through which he would play faster heartbeat sounds so Jessica would know when he wanted her character's heart rate to increase.
1: She's so good at being present without overdoing anything. And it's kind of hard to play a a person with a heart disease and having this without overdoing it. And I never felt she did. It was always so subtle and
0: scary. Throughout the shoot, both Eddie and Jessica were struck by the incredible confidence and leadership that Tobias demonstrated as a director. During my conversation with Eddie, he shared this particular memory. One night we were
3: doing a scene. It's the scene in which Jessica's character, Amy, is trying to—she begins to believe that Charlie might be doing these things. Mm -hmm. And she has to go and get the information from the
1: Pixis machine. Amy was at that point not really afraid of Charlie hurting her. She was just out to figure out what was going on. But the scene kind of wanted to stage that she was on the look. Where is Charlie? Is he following me? And Jessica did great. Don't get me wrong. And I think it looked beautiful. And Jody, the DP, had set it up perfectly. But just watching Amy in that situation made me realize that it was a lie that it had no place in the film, because there was no truth to it. And Tobias, we did one take, and he called the evening off. He was
3: like, we don't need this scene. This, isn't, this is the only time this script isn't ringing authentic. It's moving
1: into the genre piece. So I remember seeing that first take, then asking Eddie and Jessica to, as I remember, to come over. And just the three of us talked, and I said, listen, guys, we're going to do it once more. But there's, I needed to prepare them for it because I realized it could be quite a shock. And wasn't to punish them. It was just to not waste our time. So I said, there's a chance that I'm going to pull this scene and we're just going to move on. But let's just try once more. Do exactly like you did now. Maybe it's me that's wrong. But I think that what we're doing right now is making a reference to a thriller. And we shouldn't do that. We should make reference to real life. And I clearly, of course, Jessica was like, do you think it's me doing something wrong? And I said, no, not at all. I think you're doing wonderful. I think that it's the concept of the scene, but let's see it again. I just wanted to, for you to be aware, and we did one more take, and then I pulled it. You could feel the producers going it. like, "What the <laughs> fuck? What? What?" No, no, no. Scott Franklin, amazing yeah. producer, like, "Oh, can't we just shoot?" Even I was yeah. like, "Just shoot it." And yeah. if you don't need it, you know. And he was like, "No, no, no." And I remember the, the producer Scott. Great, he's protecting me. All he came over, and he wanted to make sure that I didn't cut it because I thought I was in a hurry. He was like, "I'll get you another day. I'll get you extra days if you want this. You know, don't, don't, don't delete a scene just because you want. You know, you think you have to uh, to be popular with the with the production. Forget. We're gonna uh, we're gonna make it work." And I said, "No, Scott, it's not about that. It's about this scene being a lie, so it will definitely die no matter what. Let's just move on." I remember the
3: rest of the night he shot sort of texture, like background footage of the hospital at work. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Wow, that takes a confident director mm-hmm. to really." No, and he was right.
1: Them being ready to take that and just move on also showed me how loyal they were and how invested they were in the same project, which was finding the truth and the naturalism of those scenes.
0: After speaking at length with Jessica, Eddie, and Tobias, it seems to me that the mutual dedication and investment they all shared in the making of The Good Nurse grew not only out of a respect for the story, but also out of a deep sense of community. Tobias was extremely intentional about not only fostering a bond between his actors, but between the entire cast and crew, highlighting each person's essential daily contribution to the film's production.
3: I'd come off doing big ensemble pieces, quite sort of operatic pieces, which I love doing. But you're a cog in a very big machine and What was wonderful about coming into The the Good Nurse was there was an intimacy to the process. Mm -hmm. Tobias did this amazing thing where once a week he would call all the cast and the crew around. He would talk about the week's work. He he would then ask someone in the crew to hand a gift to someone else in the cast or crew Mm -hmm. who had helped them that week.
1: We call it a love gift and basically it's... It's a tradition that I've brought since I did hijacking for a very simple, practical reason. In a hijacking, we hired Somali refugees living in Kenya and there was a ceiling to how much we could pay them a day just in terms of how we would end up destroying the ecosystem of the jobs down there. But a way to pay them a little extra would be to give out these gifts. So we would every, I would every Friday give out a goat or whatever to some of these people helping us and by then paying them a little more without messing with that system and that's what it is. But I realized what it really did was to take the time out of a very busy week and every Friday at the end of a week where everybody has struggled and hurt themselves and didn't sleep and all of that made it to almost the end and then in the morning there taking them a minute to recognizing somebody's hard work made the group stronger because suddenly we were sharing. We were not there to perform ourselves, we were there to realize, oh my God, he did that difference and it inspired. So I've done that ever since. Every Friday I would give out the first gift and I remember our uh, location manager, Leila Nurse, was the first one that I ever talked to. I couldn't travel to US to do the film. I had to start it on Zoom from Copenhagen because of the pandemic. So I was in conversation with Layla that I didn't know. And she would get in her car in the worst snowstorms, and she would drive from New York to Connecticut, and she would Zoom me or FaceTime me from all these facilities that we could use as hospitals. And I remember that first Friday, it just made so much sense to make everybody aware that Layla, who was now just in an office managing stuff over there, actually probably had been the reason that we were all together in Connecticut Um so I gave her a gift and I asked her to pass it on next Friday so next Friday we would meet again and Layla would now give it to somebody from another department and slowly in the time of the pandemic where everybody was wearing masks and nobody could touch each other we were still from department to department realizing that we were all in this together and it became these very intimate circles that we did Friday after Friday. And and yeah, so that was that was a great joy, and, and for me, even more joyful. And it speaks a lot to the character that both Eddie and Jessica every Friday stepped up and stood there with the rest of the filmmakers sharing that moment.
3: And it was a way of just spotlighting the fact that when you make films, it is a proper, at its best, it is true collaboration, but also allowing everyone to be a part of that process. It's uh, sometimes, particularly on larger scale films, it becomes a day job. They last so long, but people in the cast and crew are going from one job to the other. And, and that intimacy and that care whilst tell, from a director whilst telling a very sensitive story was, was wonderful. But because he's a writer himself, he, uh, he has great confidence, as well as also using his own vulnerabilities. So I felt... The thing I'm almost most proud of about this film is being part of a Tobias Lindholm film. From the opening shot, you're like, I'm in a film which is someone's vision on the world, and,
0: and that's a wonderful thing, and, and a rare thing. The Good Nurse is streaming now on Netflix. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Krista Smith, your host and creator of the show. Skip Intro is produced and edited by Isabel Arricchio and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to our coordinator, Alyssa Hillman. Please subscribe, rate, and review, skip intro wherever you've been listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to NetflixQ.com for more. That's netflixqueue.com.